Badlands Cola, Episode 6, Rewind. myself somehow back at the Comfortina. It's dark out. No. Wait, how is it dark out? Closing the motel door behind me should feel safe. But tonight, the click of the lock echoes hollow in the too small room. The darkness suddenly reminding me of when I was a kid, running up the basement stairs after the lights went out. I... Punch on the overhead lamp, I deadbolt the door. I don't think about the VHS tapes stashed in my backpack. I don't think about what's on them. I don't. I use the room's amenities like a shield. Strip the day's clothes, make some instant coffee, drink some instant coffee, shower. It all goes by too quickly, and I'm left standing half-wet in the center of the starkly furnished room, dripping onto the aging blue carpet. Briefly, the thought of trying to report everything I've just seen flashes like lightning through my mind, and I almost scream with frustration and horror. It is too fucking quiet. The town might only have the one radio station, but it does help. Slowly, I feel myself loosen up enough to get into an old t-shirt and crawl under the covers. It's another 20 minutes before I can turn off the lights. Three hours later, I'm still wide awake. Partially because I'm a genius who downed two cups of shitty instant coffee right before bed, but mostly because my mind is racing. I just... I have too many questions. If only the crooning voices on the radio could answer them. And then I realize... Hey. You know, I was about to crack a joke about you forgetting to feed yourself again, but you just look miserable. Why is your hair wet? Sorry to disappoint on so many fronts. Is there a reason you're dropping by at 2 a.m. or... Yes. Sort of. I don't know. Get in. Letting all the heat out. The instant I step foot into the bus-turned radio station, I'm hit with a blast of warm air that sponges the desert chill from my damp skin. My last visit here was such a roller coaster experience that I hardly recognize it now in full radio station mode. 
Strathcona's managed to scrape up a den of audio equipment from at least four different decades, plus a musty broken-in couch and enough flickering dials and waveforms to make it look a little like Christmas. There's even a little stuffed raptor perched on top of a box of old Nancy Sinatra records. Most of the mess from before has been cleaned up. The man plants himself in a threadbare swivel chair near a bank of soundboards, and I'm struck by how different he looks. Comfortable, I realize with a start. He looks comfortable. Cola? Yeah, hard pass. All right, Gumshoe, what's up? Yeah, um, I found something. Something big. Cool. That only took, what, three days? What did you find? Sonny, tell me what you found. I don't know if I can. If I, if I should. What's that supposed to mean? It means I don't know if I can trust you. Now? You're wondering that now? I was talking to Hawthorne. She told me that you used to be a park warden like her. I, yeah, for most of my 20s, sure. She wouldn't tell me why you left. Maybe because she's a good boss. There's more. Someone warned me about you. Who? The paleontologist, Dr. Gillespie. Ah. What did he say? He said you knew about the Sparville incident. He said you were there. <sighs> Jesus. Well, were you? It sounds like you got fired from the park wardens. Is that, is that why? Sort of. <laughs> Fucking hell, Strathcona. Will you even give me a chance to explain? What, after you lied to me? I told you what happened out near Sparville was a big, nasty, painful thing that no one likes to talk about. That is not a lie. Then tell me what happened. Right now. I want to hear. Okay. It was a few summers back, right? Way before anyone knew how bad things had gotten with Jasper. Mel had been gone for years, so it was only him and his parents. And that summer, he just... changed. Stopped showing up around town, didn't even seem to be living in the old family house. When the news came out that the Moon parents had died, they were a bit young, sure, but it seemed like enough of an explanation. His cult was just hitting its stride. People from this town had already started to join up with him. We know that now. Well, back then, no one did. The moons were already an odd bunch, and this didn't exactly seem out of character. Everything felt like business as usual. Until we started getting weird calls at the park office. Mostly at night. People were hearing strange sounds in the Badlands, seeing things, strange lights... Seemed like it was out near Sparville. Given the place has been abandoned for decades, it made no sense, but ultimately it was the park, our responsibility. So, Boss Hawthorne sent me out to investigate. She figured it was just the usual grad party bender, but something about it felt off. You knew it was Jasper. I didn't know shit. Okay, I saddled up and I rode out there at first light, right after a big summer rainstorm had blown through. Right before I hit Sparville proper, 
There they were. Jasper huddled in the mud and the mesas with his people. Yeah, his cult. Again, I didn't know what it was. All I knew was I was suddenly looking at a makeshift campsite of a dozen soggy townsfolk. They were, I don't know, digging. What? Digging. Not the delicate little excavations the paleontologists at the center do. This was like, you know, like that book Holes? Shovels and work lamps and piles of mud everywhere. Amateur, but methodical. Right smack in the middle of them was Jasper Moon. He walked up. Everyone just watched. For a moment, it was like he, he didn't even recognize me. Then, then suddenly he sort of smiled at me, past me, asked how I'd been, like I'd bumped into him at the gas station, not in the middle of the desert, circled up like a New Age gold rush. Right then, all I could think about was how miserable his life had turned out. Parents gone, house empty, sister nowhere to be found. I don't know. You try to rationalize things. I asked him if he and his friends were trying to set up camp or something, and he said yes. Strathcona. Look, I know. I told him he didn't have the permit to be camping out of blue dunes or to be digging like he was, and he apologized. So I wrote up the biggest ticket I could justify, told him to keep it down after dark, and I left. That was it? You just let him go? I couldn't make sense of it in the moment, okay? The ticket was all I could wrap my brain around. No one knew how bad I'd... No one knew how bad I'd fucked up until later. Yeah, when four people went missing. They had been with Jasper that day, at that dig. Covered in sweat and mud, some of them still soaked the skin, holding shovels, gardening trowels and... Their family started calling the park office, begging us to look for them out there, crying. Dr. Gillespie was the only one who called in for Levesque. And did you see him out there? <laughs> Do you have any idea how many times I've laid awake asking myself that? The truth is, I don't remember seeing him. But that doesn't mean much. Were you the one who found them? The bodies? No. The RCMP were. Here. What are these? Photos that didn't make it into the papers. Don't ask me why I have them. The bundle Strathcona hands me is thin. A stack of pristine photos taken the old-fashioned way. I leaf through them carefully, holding each one with fingertips as I scan. The first few seem like mistakes. Rectangles of near-perfect black slashed through with only sparse flashes of lighter grays and browns. Then I get to the middle of the stack, and my throat thickens at the sudden flash of a familiar color. Red. A trickle of blood between two ridges of a mesa, as if the stone itself had been cut. An abandoned white van, overturned and, and somehow half-buried in sand, streaked with black. Baseball cap flattened into sun-baked earth, surrounded by holes the size of sedans. A severed foot. 
still in its sandal. I throw the sack on the floor. Gingerly, Strathcona gathers them back up and puts them away without a word. Sorry. I figured you'd already seen these during your investigation. No, I am... Uh, my boss, Detective Nicholson, I didn't want. It was classified. You, um, you were the last person to see these people alive. You, you must have been a suspect. Oh, big time. I did every interview, answered all their questions. I guess they realized Jasper was at large and let me walk. But the damage had been done. Whether I knew it or not, I had let a killer loose. Hawthorne fired me from the park office as a half-assed apology to the families, then resigned herself. Wait, but it was an accident. You, you just misjudged. Listen, would I have let Jasper off with a ticket if I knew what was waiting for those people out there? Of course not. Was my judgment perfectly unbiased despite my history with the moons? With Mel? Probably not. But hey... Now you know why I'm not popular at the Paleontology Center. Dr. Gillespie thinks I'm a piece of shit for what I did. I can hear it in his voice every time he calls to tell me that the place is still shut down. I guess it's up to you to figure out how you feel. Why... Why didn't you just tell me this on day one? Why didn't I immediately implicate myself as an accomplice to your cult leader, you mean? Would you believe me? I mean, do you... Do you even believe me now? Ah, well, I haven't pepper sprayed you yet, have I? There's still time. Ah, what the hell? Raptor soundboard. Good for breaking tension. Oh, I hate you. No, you don't. Cola? Why not? Cheers. <coughs> oh. God, it's awful. And warm. Yeah, it grows on you. I promise. So are you going to tell me about the big discovery that's got you so spooked? I'm not spooked. Sonny, come on. You were obviously freaked out when you got here, and my little Sparville horror story probably didn't help. Yeah, well, I might be connected to your little Sparville horror story. I found something concrete on Melinda. Strathcona, I... I found tapes. Like videotapes? Of Mel? Yes. I don't know how old they are. It, and it wasn't just Mel either. Jasper, too. Jesus. It's, uh, it's like they were using them to communicate with each other. I mean, most of them are Jasper spouting cult doctrine and begging Melinda to help him build a beacon and to start digging. Okay, the beacon sounds like standard issue cult crap, but digging? Yeah, just like Sparville, I know. But the, <laughs> that's not the craziest part. The last tape... I think it actually is Melinda in the moon house. What? Was she... Alive. Paranoid. She said the beacon was built, the dig had begun, and they had received the first set of specimens, and then they were waiting for the last fossil, whatever that means. It seemed like the last message sent. Strathcona, I think we have to admit that Melinda might be helping her brother. No. No, we don't know that yet. 
Jasper was sending fossils to Mel. That doesn't mean she knew why or what to do with them once she found them. Yeah, we need to talk about the finding part. How was Jasper sending anything to her? You said she received them by digging them up, so he was burying them somewhere for her to find. Dude, how? He was in the city, miles away. He must have had hundreds of dinosaur bits stashed in that laundromat. But they were all missing, weren't they? So he could have... Listen, if our only theory as to how Jasper smuggled hundreds of invaluable fossils across the province is weird moon magic, I'd like to put a pin in the how question. I want to know why. What was the final piece Mel was waiting for? I wonder... What? There, there was one, one bone, fossil, whatever, in Jasper's collection that looked, I don't know, it's just more important than the others. It was in the background of all his internet recruitment videos, part of a skull maybe, like the jawbone or something. You think that was the final fossil he smuggled out to Mel? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it ever got to her. Like, like things got interrupted somehow, Some, something spooked Melinda. Something about the bones she found. Please tell me you have the tapes with you. Oh, let's see. Do I have the one scrap of hard evidence I've actually found in this case so far? Yeah, yeah stupid question. Let's see them. I, I don't understand. Were they all glitched like this? Just static? No, 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 no. They were fine before. Just, just try another one. Come on. They, they weren't like this. I, I, I don't know what happened. Shit! Maybe it's just my VCR. The electronics store in town opens in seven hours. We can pick up a new one and try again. Yeah, 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 sure. We, we can try that. I'm sorry. I know you want to see her. It's fine. Just meet me at the store tomorrow morning, okay? Okay. As I leave the dark, cramped, weirdly comfortable warmth of the Raptor bus and step out into the wide-open freeze that is the Badlands at night, I feel something that's a little bit like... loss. I can't tell if it's because I'm suddenly alone in the desert or if it's something closer to guilt. I didn't tell Strathcona about my wire. That I might still have an audio recording of Melinda on it, even if I suspect it'll be just as scrambled as the VHS tapes. Not just because I doubt he'll be understanding about the fact that I've been wearing it this whole time, but something else entirely. The look on his face when, just for a moment, he thought he might get a glimpse of his old friend. Do I trust him? Yes, 
But that's right now. If Melinda Moon were standing right in front of him, the remains of her brother's cult in her outstretched hands, those coyote eyes gleaming, I'm not so sure. I hate that I'm not. I drive back to the Comfortina at half speed the whole way, my throat only unclenching as I pull into the neon-drenched parking lot. Alone. Again. Badlands Cola is written, directed, and produced by Renee Taylor Clint. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Sarah Baczynski of Polarity Audio Works and featured the voice talents of Liz Mori and Brigham Snow. Special thanks to our artist representative, Giancarlo Herrera. Visit BadlandsCola.com and follow Badlands Cola on Twitter for show notes, announcements, behind the scenes content, and more. <laughs>